I'm going to attempt uh, to do the impossible uh, and cover 98 verses tonight in about a half an hour. Why are y'all laughing? Now, for sake of time, even though our text is going to cover chapter 21 and verse 15 all the way down to the end of chapter 23, we're only going to read chapter 22, uh, which is only 51 verses. <laughs> And so let's look together at 2 Samuel chapter 22, and you'll understand a little more as we uh, survey this portion of 2 Samuel tonight. 2 Samuel 22 and verse 1, and David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior. You save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. The ways of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I called. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry came to his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations of the heavens trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire. Fire from his mouth, glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He was seen on the wings of the wind. He made darkness around him, his canopy. Thick clouds, a gathering of water. Out of the brightness before him, coals of fire flamed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice. And he sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen, the foundations of the world were laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. He sent from on high, he took me, he drew me out of many waters, he rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me and from his statutes I did not turn aside. I was blameless before him and I kept myself from guilt. And the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness according to my cleanness in his sight. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you deal purely. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. You save a humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them down. For you are my lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. 
The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? This God is my strong refuge and has made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your gentleness made me great. You gave a wide place for my steps under me and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and destroyed them and did not turn back until they were consumed. I consumed them. I thrust them through so that they did not rise. They fell under my feet. For you equipped me with the strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me, those who hated me, and I destroyed them. They looked, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. I beat them fine as the dust of the earth. I crushed them and stamped them down like the mire of the streets. You delivered me from strife with my people. You kept me as the head of the nations, people whom I had not known served me. Foreigners came cringing to me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be my God, the rock of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and brought down peoples under me, who brought me out from my enemies. You exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from men of violence for this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing praises to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. Last week we began the final section of Second Samuel in what is known as the epilogue. We looked at the first 14 verses of chapter 21 and considered the inadequacy of King David to atone God's wrath for sin, that David's kingdom was a kingdom of suffering filled with much pain and sadness due to the consequences of sin. Yet though David could not adequately deal with the problem of God's wrath, His kingdom serves to point us forward to the one who has sufficiently atoned for sin. Not King David, but King Jesus. That was the beginning of the epilogue. And we continue tonight in this epilogue with a very large portion of Scripture. Again, I'm I'm trying to cover 98 verses tonight. But you, you, you must know that this is intentional on my part, and we will cover it together this evening as a survey, even though we could spend an entire series of sermons alone uh, just on these chapters. And so what I, what I have tonight is three headers, three points, and since uh, the epilogue itself, as we pointed out last week, is not fixed in terms of chronology, uh, neither will my headers. They are thematically presented uh, the epilogue is, and, and, and so will the point. So we're going to skip around and do our best to give you the main theme that is before us as the narrator has written it, and trust that maybe perhaps you'll do some homework on your own uh, to study it out a little bit further. So, so three things that we see thematically 
about this portion of the epilogue coming toward the end of 2 Samuel. The first thing we see is the strength of David's kingdom. The strength of David's kingdom. That covers chapter 21, uh, verse 15 through 22, as well as uh, 23, chapter 23, verses 8 through 39, all right? Those are the two uh, portions that we're covering, 2 Samuel 21, 15 through 22, and 2 Samuel 23, 8 through 39. These two sections emphasize the strength of David's kingdom, the strength of it. Now, it may feel like we have spent a great deal of time on David's failures, But we cannot forget the fact that David was a man of extraordinary strength. That God indeed made him great. I mean, this this is the guy when he was just a young man took on the giant Goliath all by himself. Over and over again, he defeated Israel's enemies. There are some significant features that we find in chapter 21 as well as chapter 23 that point out the strength of David's kingdom. Let's begin looking at a few verses in chapter 21, verses 15 through 22. And and all that we read here in this particular section has the issue of war in the background. In fact, the entire time of David's reign, there was the constant threat of their arch enemy known as the Philistines. They were always in the background posing an aggressive threat to God's people. And the language of our text here shows us that. Look at it there in chapter 21, beginning at verse 15. There's a little phrase that is woven throughout this section. Verse 15 says, there was war again. Verse 18, there was again war. Verse 20, there was again war. So woven throughout the tapestry of David's earthly reign is this constant threat of battle. The Philistines always at his back door, if you will, always planning, sneaking, an aggressive attack attack to wipe out God's people. But notice how God, as the narrator writes here, provides for David as his kingdom seems to be constantly at war. There was three things that become very apparent to me. And the first being is that David had a team. David had a team. So what we have here at the end of chapters 21 and at the end of chapter 23 are David's mighty men. In fact, many of you will have a Bible where over the top of the header of those sections, it might say, David's mighty men. These were the toughest group of warriors in all the kingdom. And there was around 30 of them in all. And the point is made here that without these mighty men, without this team of people who had come alongside the king, that David could not have accomplished what he did. These men... We're on the king's side. They were on the king's team, and the king used them to glorify the Lord's purposes. By the way, it is always beneficial to be on the king's team, on the Lord's side. And that's the emphasis of these mighty men. They were on the king's side. They were on the king's team. And one thing that is apparent here is not only did David have a team, but these mighty men supported him. 
They supported him. They helped him. In fact, verse 15 tells us that there was a time when David grew weary. It's the phrase that is used at the end of verse 15. David grew weary. It speaks of weakness and limitations. But instead of hanging it up, so to speak, his mighty men instead held him up. They supported him. They, they fought for him. They, they did what they could to protect him and the kingdom. And in verse 17, they tell King David, and I'm summarizing here, look, you're tired, you're weary, and this nation cannot lose your leadership. So, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to go out and fight for you while you stay back and rest a while. Because if you don't stay back and rest a while, David, he says here, you might quench the lamp of Israel. Meaning that God's hand was on Israel in a unique and special way. And David's mighty men wanted to do whatever they could to help David keep it that way. So they don't see their king as weary, weak, and limited, and they decide to hang it up. No, they see their king as weak and limited and weary, and they surround him and say, look, we're going to help you out. We're going to support you. We're going to go and fight on your behalf. And that's what they do. In fact, the snapshots, and there's really what they are, they may seem like they're just randomly thrown in here in chapter 21 and chapter 3, but they're, they're snapshots. It's like we would be sitting watching someone come home after a long trip, and they're showing us their pictures. Now, this is when we did that, and this is when we went here. That, that's what he's doing. He's showing us just snapshots of the acts of David's mighty men, and they're heroic acts. Again, you're going to have to look at a lot of this on your own to see it all, but let me just point out a few of them as we see in First in chapter 21, we, we see in verse 17 of chapter 21, a man by the name of Abishai. We've looked at him on several occasions in our study. Well, here the snapshot is that Abishai, one of David's mighty men, he killed a Philistine giant who was heavenly armed. And then Sibekah and Elihanan, they also each kill a Philistine giant in verses 18 and 19. Uh, Jonathan not the son of Saul, but the son of Shammai, David's brother. He killed a Philistine giant, notice this, who had six fingers and six toes in verse 20. I, I love those little snapshots that, 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 that the Bible gives us. I mean, this is a creepy-looking individual. He's not just a really tall, muscle giant, but, but he has 24 limbs coming out of his hand and his feet. And, and Jonathan destroys this man in chapter 23. In fact, you might want to flip over there. In chapter 23, we learn about a few men. We learn about a man named Josheb Bashabeth, all right? It's the best I've got at it, all right? Josheb Bashabeth. Here it says in chapter 23 in verse 8 that he killed 800 enemies of Israel all at once. I'm not sure how it all happened, but he did it. And then we learn in verses 10 and 11, uh, Eleazar and Shammah, these were men who also took care of many of the enemies of David. Then we, then we come to an interesting character in verse 20. His name is Benaiah. Benaiah not only took out some of David's enemies, but the narrator throws in here, he also killed a lion in a snowstorm, all right? As if killing a lion on a spring day is easy. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why he throws it in there. I guess he's just helping us to understand this is even a lot more challenging than you may have believed it was. I mean, in the middle of a snowstorm, he takes out 
a, a, a lion. Here, here's what I wrote in my notes as I'm reading through all of these snapshots. And you, you may laugh at this, but this is just how I think. I wrote down these exact words. These are some bad dudes. That's who David's mighty men were. I mean, I look at this and I see Parker and I see Simon and I see God. I mean, these are some bad dudes that you wouldn't want to get a fight with in the back alley at night. This is who David's mighty men were. And here's the point. Here's the point. These mighty men were a major part of the strength of David's kingdom. God used them to bless David and to help him fulfill his kingdom purposes. And so David had a team. He wasn't the lone ranger. It wasn't the one-man show. He had a team of people, and this team weren't trying to fight for their own positions. No, they, they came and supported their king. And then we see that God gave David and his mighty men victory after victory. Victory after victory. I mean, these victories, though, as we read here, were physical battles in nature. They do have spiritual implications to our life today. Because like Israel with the Philistines, we too have the continual threat of sin against our lives. We have the continual threat of Satan's advantages. Maybe even death itself as an unbeliever is a major threat in your life. Now, now to God's glory, Jesus Christ is the perfect king who defeated these things through his death and resurrection. He did what David could not do. He, he defeated sin, he defeated Satan, he defeated death. However, here on earth, until God's perfect kingdom is finally ushered in, he has given to us a team, a team of believers who are here to help us and to support us as we come face to face in our daily battles with sin, in our daily temptations with Satan. And God will give to us, this is the hope here, that God will give to us victory after victory as we trust him and follow the guidance of his mighty men, of his mighty women in our life. You see, David's kingdom was largely a strong kingdom, and that's what the narrator, again, the epilogue is just, it's kind of showing you everything that we've studied. It's summarizing it all, and he wants you to know that, yes, there's the murder. Yes, there's the adultery. We're going to get to that here in just a moment, but let's not forget that God chose this man for a reason, and his kingdom was largely strong. And it was God's grace, not David's flesh. It was God's grace that made his strength so great. I read this and I think to myself, may God give all of us some mighty men and women who will join Team Jesus and support his kingdom work as we go to battle every day against the evil of the evil one. And so we have here the strength of David's kingdom. That's 21 and 23. Now we're going to stay in chapter 23 for a moment because we didn't look at the first seven verses. But here in the first seven verses of chapter 23, we have the summary of David's kingdom. The summary of David's kingdom. So we have the strength of David's kingdom. At the end of chapter 21 and the end of chapter 23, David gives us, or rather the narrator gives us here, the writer, the, the, the mighty men and the snapshots of their heroic acts, uplifting the strength that was the kingdom that David ruled. But now we see just a general summary of the kingdom. Look at, look at verse 1, chapter 23. Now these are 
the last words of David. Now, let me, let me help you with something. That, that's not to be taken strictly as to mean the very exact last words of David before he took his final breath. We might read that and think, well, maybe, maybe there's this the bedroom scene and David's just moments away from dying and this is what came out of his mouth before he took the last breath. A C- couple things here that I need you to understand. Verses 1 through 7 is a poem, all right? It's a poem. It is an official poem, an official song written by David at the end of his life. Verse 1 even says here that what is written here in these seven verses is an oracle. An oracle means that this is a declaration from God. It is an official message from God given officially by the king. So when it says these are the last words of David, that's not to be viewed as his exact last words, but rather his last official declaration as king. And it happens to be an official summary of his life and reign. Why it was that God indeed made him so great. So how is it summarized here in this final poem, this final official uh, declaration that comes out of the king's office into the kingdom itself before he dies? Well, three things. And it all summarizes David's kingdom from from. From, from the beginning of when we studied it to this point. Here's the first thing we see. Number one, we see that this David, David was God's chosen man. David was God's chosen man. That's what the summary begins with. Helping us to understand that when we think about David's kingdom, if we were to summarize the significance of David and why it is that David was so great and David was great, David was great. To this day, he is still heralded among the Jewish people as their greatest king. I was in a gift shop in Jerusalem one day on one of the trips. I don't know if it was the first one or the second one. When a a Jewish uh, gentleman came up to me and noticed my pale complexion and my red hair, and he said, do you know our greatest king looked like you? (laughs) Ruddy in feature. You know, we've studied that passage. They still view David as their greatest king. He was God's chosen man. Verse 1 says, the oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the man who was raised on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob. This is his identity. This is who David was, a shepherd's son, the son of Jesse. From Bethlehem, who was chosen and anointed by God to be the king of God's people. He was raised up out of the shepherd's fields and placed on the throne of Israel. Not, I remind you, by the people. No, no, no. Saul was their choice, remember? No, he was raised up and put on the throne by God because he was God's choice. David was God's choice, the man appointed to be king by the very heart of God. That is what, again, is meant by the phrase, a man after God's own heart. This is the man that God's heart appointed, the man that God's heart chose. And so David's greatness rested in the fact that God chose him. 
God chose him. We cannot lose sight of this. After all David did in his times of temptation and trial, weaknesses and limitations, sins and misjudgments, he was still God's anointed. He was still God's choice. God never withdrew his choice of David. He was who he was. Not because of anything in him but because of the God who said, that's who I want. That's the man I will choose. So when we think about David, who was he? How do we explain him? How do we we teach him to our children? How do we view him? Here's the summary of his life. The last thing officially decreed about who he was. Well, he was God's chosen man. The second thing we see is that David spoke as God's mouthpiece. David was God's chosen man, but David also spoke as God's mouthpiece. The end of verse 1 of chapter 23 hints to it. Before we even get to verse number 2, he calls himself the sweet psalmist of Israel. Here's what it says in verse 2. The Spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. Now, thanks be to God tonight, church family, that the God of heaven speaks, that the God of heaven has spoken. The very essence of God's word being held in our possession tonight is because he has spoken through his chosen men to give us what is the word of God. And by God's design, David was one of those men. For example, so much of the book of Psalms that we enjoy is God's word as spoken by David. So who was David? What made him so great? Well, he was God's chosen man. He was the mouthpiece of God. But then I wrote down number three, God established a covenant with David. What made him so great? How do we look at a summary of his kingdom? He was a God's chosen man, he spoke as a mouthpiece for God, and then God established a covenant with David. You see, everything about his reign always comes back to this covenant. And he begins to speak about this covenant in verse 3. Let me summarize it. The God of Israel has spoken, David says. There is coming a king who will rule righteously over men and in the fear of God. He will be like the dawn of the morning light. He will be like the sun that shines through the cloudy day, like the rain that brings forth life. And then David says in verse 5, this is going to happen from my house. And how do I know that? For he has made with me an everlasting covenant. Look at it there in verse 5 if you see it in chapter 23. He has made with me an everlasting covenant ordered in all things and secure. I love that phraseology there. David said, how do I know God is going to bless my house with a ruler who will reign in perfect righteousness? Because God said to me through a covenant that he has ordered all Things and it's secure that this is going to happen. Of course, David is referencing the covenant that God made with him back in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that the throne of David will be established forever. You see, all of God's purposes are concrete. 
They are ordered. They are secure. All things are sovereignly ordered to perfectly bring to pass what God has decreed. And whatever God decrees, whatever God wills, it is secure. What David is saying here, he's made a covenant with me. It's going to happen. You can take it to the bank and there's nothing nobody can ever do to stop the sovereign plan of God. And all of that is how David's kingdom is summarized. That's why God made him great. He was chosen by God, anointed as God's mouthpiece, and given a covenant that will forever change the history of mankind. Through David's seed, the Savior King will come, and his kingdom will never end. Of course, I don't have time to break it down tonight, but in verses 6 through 7, he gives the gospel. (laughs) He essentially states here that those who believe God's covenant promise that God has made with David will be saved, but those who reject it will be consumed with God's judgment. Think about this for a moment. The last words, the last official decree by David as king were gospel words. They were gospel words. He's preaching the gospel. He's declaring the gospel. The true king, the mighty king, the perfect king. He's coming. And he's coming through this throne. If you believe him and receive him, you'll be saved. If you reject him, you will be consumed with eternal wrath. Every bit of his life and reign was about one thing. The gospel. The gospel. Even as imperfect as he was, like all of us are, David, like you and I, was just an imperfect conduit to a perfect gospel because God chose him, spoke to him and through him and made an eternal covenant with him. This is the summary of who he is. This is what we magnify when we think about the kingdom of David. And then finally and This is what I intended to be my emphasis, but it just is what it is at this point. The song of David's kingdom. And that brings us back to chapter 22. So we see the strength of David's kingdom in this epilogue. We see a summary of David's kingdom. And now in the middle of this this position of how David ruled and how God used it, we, we see David singing. After all, he's the psalmist of Israel. He's one of the greatest musicians we've ever known. And he breaks out into song. The chapter's phenomenally, phenomenal. Arguably one of the most magnificent songs of poetry that David ever penned. And it's a song of praise to God. Now, now, now listen, please open your Bible, turn on your phone, and scroll down through with me for a few of these because you need to see this for yourself. We're going to jump all over the place. Verse 4, he says, you are worthy to be praised. This is his song to God. You are worthy to be praised Verse 47, exalted be my God, the rock of my salvation. Verse 50, I will praise you, O Lord. I will sing praises to your name. You know, some have even called this David's version of how great thou art. As if he just rears back and then sings my soul. He's praising God. He's worshiping God. Every phrase within these 51 verses sing a magnificent truth about God. This is what I mean. We could do a whole series of sermons just on this song. But I just want you to consider four phrases tonight from it that I think give a pretty good summary as the rest of the epilogue is doing of David's life. Here's the first phrase. We find it, verse 2 and 3. The phrase is, 
He is my Savior. David's song is a song declaring that God is his Savior. God is a Savior. Look at verse 2. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, and my refuge. Here it is. My Savior. My Savior. Jesus is a rock that is strong, a fortress that is secure, a shield that is impenetrable. He is a refuge that is indestructible. All of these images speak to the beauty of God as Savior. That He is the place of hope and safety. And notice how He speaks of the personal nature of His relationship with God. My, my, my. My, my rock, my refuge, my stronghold, my Savior. Listen, David was not a religious bystander. He was in a personal relationship with the God of heaven. How? By faith. His faith was resting in God as his Savior. And so he burst in song, singing about the rock, the fortress, the stronghold, the deliverer. The one who is his Savior. Verse 4, I called upon him and he saved me. Verse uh, 7, I called upon him and he heard me. Verse 14 and 18, the Lord thundered from heaven in judgment, but he rescued me. Verse 20, he delights in me. Verse 36, his gentleness has made me great. Verse 51, great salvation he has brought. To me, his king. What is David doing through song? Well, he's sharing his testimony. God is my Savior. I want you, I want to ask you this question tonight. Is it yours? This is David's testimony. Is it your testimony? Can you sing with confidence that he is my Savior? Now, here's the second phrase. Look at verse 33. The first one, he is my Savior. The second one is, he made my way blameless. He made my way blameless. Look at verse 33. David again in song says, this God is my strong refuge and has made my way blameless. This statement is so important theologically. Because you may have noticed in our scripture reading a moment ago that David has been saying a lot about himself, beginning somewhere around verse 21. That sounds a bit wrong, to say the least, considering all that we know and have studied about his life. Maybe you were sleeping through it a moment ago. Let me read it to you, verse 21. This is David now in his song. Listen to what he's saying here. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, the cleanness of my hands, God rewarded me. I've kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. Verse 23, all his rules were before me. From his statutes, I did not turn aside. I was blameless before him. I kept myself from guilt. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his sight. I want to ask you a question. How is it possible for an adulterer 
and a murderer and all the other things to speak as he is speaking in these verses. Now, I want you to understand, this is not here by accident. The Holy Spirit of God wants you and I to grapple with that question tonight. How is it possible for him to speak in this way when we know what he did? I think we have to begin with what Nathan told David after David confessed and repented of his sins. Let me read it to you. You don't have to turn there. 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 13. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. He confessed it. He acknowledged it. He came clean. And immediately, immediately Nathan says to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. I have sinned, David said. Nathan said, the Lord has put away. He's put away your sin. Well, this is the remarkable work of God's grace, isn't it? Now, we remember David's sin, and to be honest with you, we at times hold it against him. But let me tell you something about God that is so much different than us. God remarkably doesn't hold it against him. God remarkably chooses not to see him that way anymore. So the reason why David is able to say the things that he is saying now is because God dealt with David not as a murderer, not as an adulterer. He dealt with David as a forgiven and cleansed man. Verse 25, the Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness. Look at the next three words. In his sight. God dealt with me on the basis of how he sees me. How he sees me. Not how you see me, but how God sees me. Through the gracious cleansing and forgiveness of God, he made David's way to be absolutely blameless in God's sight. Now granted, the words here do describe much of his life. But even when he failed, his sinful actions never undermined his salvation in God. Through repentance and grace, God cleansed him fully. Go back and read Psalm 32. Go back and think through Psalm 51. We are, we are privy to that painful declaration of repentance. He asked God to cleanse his heart. To wash away his sins. And guess what God does? He, he does exactly what David asked him to do. And that's why God's grace is absolutely scandalous to the human eye. God was gentle with David. Just as he is gentle with me. Just as he is gentle with you. That's the whole premise of verse 36. The Lord's gentleness made me great. You see, this is too important to rush through. This portion of David's song is him seeing his life the way God sees it. And perhaps this is the place in which you need to come tonight. 
to stop wallowing around in that which God has forgiven, in that which God has cleansed in your life, or to stop forcing others in your life to wallow around in what God has forgiven in them, what God has cleansed in them. Through faith and repentance, His grace has made us blameless. And today, He does not deal with us on the basis of what we've done or who we were. He deals with us on the basis of being clean children of God. And and I know it's, it's a struggle. So much anxiety, so much difficulty in the Christian life can come by constant thoughts about who we used to be, the things that we've done. We, we can't stop seeing ourselves in a way that God doesn't see us. It's interesting. And my time's up. I, if we were to read through all the list of David's mighty men in chapter 23, the very last name that he puts out might calls you to, well, why did he do that? Because David writes it. At the very end of his list in chapter 23, he lists Uriah the Hittite. So David put the one he betrayed, the one that he murdered, on the list as an eternal record on his life. Now, why did he do this? I mean, if it were to us, maybe we list you know, 29 mighty men, and let's just forget that ever happened. Facebook would have been in place in David's day. Maybe like us, he would have went through every picture we ever had in the past of Uriah in it, and we just delete it. You know, we just don't want to ever be reminded of that. But he puts him on the list. Why did he do it? You well, know, I wrote down, number one, that possibly to remind himself that he, David, was always his greatest weakness and biggest problem. But then I wrote to show us that he, David, was humbled by his failures, but he wasn't haunted by them. He was humbled by them. Hey, I did it. But God doesn't view me that way anymore. He views me as a blameless, clean, innocent man that has never laid hands on any other brother. It humbled him, but he refused to let it haunt him. Alistair Beck said it like this in terms of application. Resist every endeavor by the evil one to come and insinuate into your heart and into your mind all of those things from the past that are buried in the sea of God's forgetfulness. Yeah, that's who I once was. Yes, that's what I once did. But by the grace of God, I am now blameless in his sight. Through repentance, God has made me clean. And he sings about this. Let me just give you the last two and then we'll pray with Third statement is, David says in verse 40, he equipped me with strength for the battle. He equipped me with strength for the battle. Verse 40, for you equipped me with strength for the battle. And he faced many battles, didn't he? But again, we see how it was that David overcame and was victorious. God equipped him. God equipped him. Verse 19, 
I love this. Some, some of you that have had these moments, you need to write these verses and think about them and pray and sing them. Verse 19, David said, in the day of calamity or in the, in the day of my distress. Anybody ever been in a distressful season of your life? Darkness, depression, anxiety, not knowing where to turn, what to do. In the day of my distress, the Lord was my support, David said. Verse 29, in my darkness. Anybody ever been in a season of darkness? That didn't know where to go, how to turn, which direction. In my darkness, God was my lamp who lightened the way for me. This song is not about what he's done. This song is about what God has done in his life. God had strengthened him for every battle that he faced in life. And then the fourth phrase found in verse 51, and that is, he keeps his promises forever. This, This is a part of what David is singing. He keeps his promises forever. Verse 51, he shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. Of course, Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of this promise, the offspring of David who is the perfect king. But the point to be made here is that God has kept that promise. He keeps all of his promises forever. You know why? And we go back to verse 36 in this song. Because this God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true every single time. It will come to pass. What a song of praise to the worthiness of God. I wish we had more time for it. He's not only done these things for David, but he has done these things for us. He is our Savior. That is if you've come to him by faith. He is our Savior. He has made our way blameless. He equips us with strength for the battle. And He keeps His promises forever. May this serve as a continual reminder that anything we are or will ever become is all because of the gentle grace of God in our life. Your gentleness, David said made me great. Now, thanks be to God for this heavenly encouragement. Let's stand together for prayer.